0: Welcome to The Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Aoife Barry, standing in for Sinead O'Carroll. And this week, how do you get a book published in Ireland? Ireland loves books, something that came to the fore last year when we collectively bought more than 13 million of them, which added up to over 160 million euro for the publishing industry. Perhaps that has to do with Ireland's position as a land of saints and scholars, with some of the world's most famed authors hailing from our shores. From James Joyce to Marion Keyes, we punch above our weight when it comes to famous authors. But how easy is it to write a book, never mind publish one? With the Irish Book Awards coming up in late November, we decided to ask two authors about their experiences of the publishing world. Joining us today are Alice Taylor, the best-selling author who was catapulted to national success in 1988, and she's gone on to write over 20 books across numerous genres. Her latest, Tea for One, is nominated for an Irish Book Award. Also joining us is Sophie White, who published her first book, A Cookbook and Memoir, in 2016, and went on to pen three novels and one bestselling essay collection, Corpsing, which has been nominated alongside Alice's book. In fact, both books are nominated in the Best Irish Published Book category in the Irish Book Awards, which is sponsored by The Journal. Alice and Sophie, welcome to The Explainer. Thank you. Alice, I'll start with you. How did you get started in writing and how long did it take you to get published?
1: You know, I can never remember a time in my life when I wasn't writing. It was always part of me. Even going to school, I loved doing essays. I I, I kind of wanted to express myself in writing, always. I wrote children's Mm -hmm. stories for myself. And then when I had children, I I told them stories. So writing was always part of me. But I kind of never thought of publishing. I Mm -hmm. kind of realized that, um, that the world I had grown up in, uh, was disappearing, and I kind of thought it's, it's it's going to be gone, and nobody will know the little small details about it. And that led me to write to school through the fields. And um, the original plan was that I was going to hand it down around to members of the family. Then I thought, well, this could get lost, so I decided I, I kind of get it published. I'd send it to no I know nothing about publishers, but at the time, John B. Keen's book, The Baron Maker, had just come out, and um, we sell a couple of books, not a lot of books in our shop, local shop. I looked to know who who had published John B. It was Brandon. So Brandon, I thought, well, that's a grand name. Now it's called after a, a, a Kerry Mountain. And I thought, well, you can't go wrong with a Kerry Mountain. So I, I sent it off to, to Brandon. And um, so I have no experience of the road to publishing in actual mm-hmm. fact because they accepted it and published it straight away, you know. So I kind of fell into yeah. being published and it was um, it was a very exciting journey, I must say.
0: Sophie, how does your journey then compare to Alice's? I mean, you know, you're a longtime writer, so you were obviously writing away, getting being published as a journalist too. What was it like going to the book world?
2: Oh, such uh, stretches of uh, difficulty and self-doubt and um, rejection, like years of rejection. So um, a little bit like Alice, um, my first book was a bit of a kind of, I don't know, like kind of, I shot in the dark but I felt like I didn't really have to work for it very hard because the publisher approached me and asked if I'd be interested in writing a book and that really I think set me up with a completely ridiculous notion of what publishing was like and getting books published and writing books, everything that works. I was just the luckiest really and I suppose so that kind of happened up the back of the column that I had been writing in the Sunday Independent for a good few years and I do think writing a column and kind of doing like freelance journalism was an amazing sort of uh, grounding in kind of discipline and just I suppose real commitment and it was real kind of like just how to learn how to just exercise that writing muscle and write every day and just like really push through I suppose a lot of the kind of I suppose I I suppose it just made writing like never a kind of a mystical process for me it was like nuts and bolts and do it and put words down and then kill them off the next day if they're not good enough or they're you know and it's funny because like I was going to say I was kind of a late bloomer um, Alice (laughs) in that before I started writing I was a chef and before that I studied fine art and people like Alice saying kind of that she'd always written is the total opposite to me I never I didn't write write until my late 20s and before that I was more just I read I mean I'm sure you did too Alice and you know but like I just read all the time and I actually didn't really feel like writing was very accessible to me because I suppose my one experience of writing before becoming a writer was writing my dissertation in college and oh my god it was a unique kind of torture (laughs) and I went to art college where it was very like small part of the degree Um, but I mean small part of the degree I made it into my Everest I was like I will never get to the end of this 8000 words and now what a laugh like um but yeah so when i it's sort of funny because you know the way alice you described going to the shop and sort of going who made this book and i'll contact that person when i kind of went to find my agent particularly um my process of that and i do recommend this to writers who are looking to become like get representation is i googled all the authors that i love and whose work i admire and whose careers i really admire and think oh you know that's something where i would love to you know aspire to and how i found my agent was beth o'leary who is a wonderful writer of popular fiction and you know she's just had these brilliant successes in the last kind of five years And I just Googled her and I ended up being represented by the same agent. And I think that's also for starting out really good to know you're not approaching someone who's like not going to be interested in what you do. You're approaching someone who very much loves your genre and wants to hear more voices in it.
0: That's so interesting. I mean. Was that one of the things that's, that surprised either of you about the journey to publishing? Maybe I'll, I'll go to you, Alice, with this first, uh, that idea of having an agent. And, and was there other things that might might have surprised you about publishing that you didn't know before your first book came out?
1: You know, I didn't have a clue, really. An agent never crossed my mind. I didn't even know there were such things as agents. So that, um, you know, in one sense, Sophie and I came from two, from two very different angles, which is, is kind of interesting. So once I contacted uh, Steve MacDonald from Brandon Books, and Brandon Books were just a very small publishing house. There was three three men running it. So um, I got to know them. And it, he, he kind of became part of our family, uh, you know, so it was it was a different uh, system. And I was a total ignoramus about the process. So he kind of laid out, down out stepping stones. And, so. and, and I actually did what I was told mm. at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I, got my, I got my my feeling. And I remember when he said to me, you know, would I go along with any publicity that was involved? And I said, oh, sure, that's no bother. I was kind of thinking at a very local level. But huh. he was thinking... At a national level, and I hadn't realized that. So I remember when he threw it out in front of me, how would I feel about going on the late late when you let it ever break down? <laughs> I thought, oh my God, I thought, is this what I'm after letting myself in for? And then for some reason I got an idea, I'm kind of after getting on a train. And I might not be able to get off, even if I wanted <laughs> But push mm-hmm. um, I was I was very nervous to be honest with you jo- about the world I was stepping into because I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure that I was going to like it. Mm-hmm. I found that um, it was one step at a time and I coped with each step as it uh, as it appeared. It, it was a, the whole thing was a learning curve. I must say. I kind of enjoyed, I mm-hmm. kind of enjoyed it, and uh, it kind of led me into places I would not, not otherwise have gone. And I loved book signings; I loved meeting the readers because you could have um, you could have a big, big chat with them, and uh, that was the human face of it. Yeah. But I, I'm not sure that I liked the PR attached to it because. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of felt, you know, you could so easily become a marketable product.
0: Mm. And I'm not
1: too sure that I was that
0: comfortable with that. And Sophie, in terms of your own journey, you mentioned earlier that you've had the experience of being approached by publisher, but then you've also had a lot of experience of approaching publishers and an agent as well yourself. Can you talk us through how it feels to go through that process? You know, is it one where you'd experience a lot of rejection? And how do you deal with that then?
2: Oh my god! Just an absolute—I um, don't know—marathon uh, of commitment to yourself and the work, and genuinely trying to—I I accept rejection. I don't hold with not taking it personally because that I think is advice that's impossible to follow. I do think that uh, it doesn't get (laughs) I'm just a real downer. I was like, I don't think it gets easier. Um, I think (laughs) that it I think there's like kind of ways to be more accepting of it. And so basically, I guess when I'm talking about rejection, like I suppose you'd be sending out kind of emails cold to editors and agents and introducing yourself in something called a query letter. And so, uh, if people listening would like to find out kind of a query letter, there's actually such brilliant stuff online. Like, I remember just watching um, YouTube uh, uh, talks with agents and editors about like a good query letter that's going to get them to continue reading and you know so um, I had query letters I would tailor them to every single person I was writing to basically you know the way they say like if you're going for a job interview prepare as if you have this job like take it to those levels and I actually really advise that for aspiring writers like it is not you just don't really for the most part fall in the way of people who want to publish your work. You need to, like, you know, be convincing and you do need to really do your homework and your legwork. Like people don't appreciate blanket emails, you know, and um, I mean, why would you? <laughs> like,
0: And would people, so would people, I think when they're generally sending these uh, query letters and they want to be published, would they always have... A manuscript written or does it depend on the genre that you want to be published in whether you have to send in you know an idea for a book or a fully formed manuscript that's already been penned
2: yeah that's a really good question because I definitely didn't really understand either and um, I suppose the expectation with fiction is that you would certainly have like a kind of a, a full manuscript and draft this is kind of these days like I guess and um, and I would kind of I guess advise like if I'm speaking to a writer now I always would be like include a one-pager, which is kind of top to bottom what this work is, beginning, middle and end. Don't worry about giving away the ending in that, I would say. And it would also be a, a page, a document where I take time to just explain like why this, why now, why me? So it's like why this work is important, why it should happen now and why you are the person to write it. And I kind of feel like those are interesting, like they're easy points to just address. You know, it's simple. And I would say that document is like under two pages, you know, and you really just want to keep people with you, keep them interested. And then sometimes like you would kind of wait and sort of, I guess the person might request to see the manuscript rather than you necessarily sending it. Or you know, I might like include the first 10 pages on an email and like they must be, I think, even if it's not necessarily what you eventually want the first 10 pages of the book to be, I think they should be probably the hookiest or and I'm speaking from like my my main genre is popular fiction but like I think like well now a literary writer might listen to this and be like go away with yourself there <laughs> but I do think that like you know it's kind of I think genres are relevant you need to capture your reader you know you can't be obtuse in the first 10 pages you want someone to care immediately. So um, I think that's the kind of strategy that I would usually take with fiction. So I would have that manuscript, at least in a first draft, I don't think people expect things to be like hyper polished if they can see what you're doing and see and think it's worthy. And then it's kind of conversely with nonfiction, which I've written two books of, it would more like be a proposal of the work that you might um, sell to a publisher, where you would again do that one page or idea of like, why this, why now, why me, and kind of give a, a real sense of the book that you want to set out and create. And also, I would say in that document for nonfiction detail, the kind of research you might do. And I mean, maybe it's not the kind of book that you would interview people about, but like I would perhaps put my reading list for this book, you know, which I do for my books. I would often do reading lists for myself. That's like preparatory homework like I have a stack beside me right now that is for my next book and I'm dying to get onto it but I'm finishing my current book so I'm not allowed to start reading the homework yet for the new one but um, I would kind of give those kind of references in in the, that document and it can be across film, writing, theatre, poetry, I don't think there's a distinction there you know it's just about giving the flavour of the work and then the last thing I always put with those pitches fiction or non-fiction is kind of a tone comparison. So I usually would say something if it was fiction particularly along the lines of like think um, Rachel's holiday meets Ashley in the city, vote for that in the Irish Book Awards meets and I'd even go for a TV show there like Shades of Succession, you know, and it's just literally telling people what you're about and telling people what the work is about.
0: That's a really comprehensive look at the different kind of options there, which is great. And Alice, you know, you'll often see announcements about new books coming out and it will say, you know, bought in a two way auction or, you know, a six figure deal. And there can be these assumptions when people see these very big deals that there is a lot of money to be made in publishing. Is there a lot of money to be made in Irish publishing? Or does it really depend on the writer and the person? You know, no, no,
1: no. no. And that's a misconception. There There isn't. And it's a a funny thing. I grew up with a a beekeeping brother and you wonder now where's the connection. But he was he loved, absolutely loved beekeeping. And if somebody came to him and said, oh, I'd like to do beekeeping and the next and their next statement would be, is there money in beekeeping? He would say, "You're not a beekeeper." I think the same applies to writing. If you're going in because think you're going to make money, that's the wrong reason. Well, if well for me, I can only I'm 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 speechless with admiration for Sophie. I think she's a great woman. I would have fallen by the wayside a long time ago there, and um, but um, I suppose for me it was it was just a different world. But then you see, i grew up in a different world, and. Um, I mean the whole thing of, of um, you know YouTube and all this it uh, you terrify the living daylights mm-hmm. out of me anyway in the first place. So to me it was um, I mean I, I, I started writing up in an attic here in the in the house and when I I mean I had five children and I was running a business and stuck in a lot of things in the village and I, it it was a form of escapism when when all the when everything quietened down at night I would go up into the attic and I loved being above there by myself and creating my own world up there. So it was um it was just a whole different world and um, when I started writing, it was um, um, children's stories and poems, and and it, it kind of evolved for me. Writing evolved as I, as I explored. What I loved, I just what I love most about it is that having a book in your head, mm. not yet not written, but hatching away there inside in your head. And um, you know, you might have one that you're working on, but. At, at the very back of your head is, is another thing, this kind of simmering. So I think, it, you know, the writing itself, I found it's, it's a great enrichment to my life. Yeah. And um, and I suppose then once you get published, then you are published. And um, you're, it's an easier, it's, it's a kind of an easier road, I think. But I think there's a great excitement in writing. I love the excitement the anticipation and the carrying the story around inside in your head and then putting it on paper. I just loved that. I love that excitement. I love the the excitement of of planning it and writing it.
0: You can really, you can really feel your, your excitement coming across there, definitely. And Sophie, we were talking there, like Alice was saying, you don't get into writing if you want to be a millionaire, you know, and there is alongside with that, there is the assumption that you can be a full time writer and just write books. And that is obviously possible for some people. But realistically, is it possible to be a full time writer for most people or, or do people need to adjust their idea of what a quote unquote full time writer even is?
2: I mean I suppose it's a hard one really to answer in any kind of like I suppose general terms you know because I think with writing like you were discussing the kind of like six-figure deal and the auctions and things like that and like sometimes they can be kind of blue moon things and you can never predict why that's going to happen well you can predict why because the writers excellent and they have an incredible piece of work you know but like sometimes I guess you can't really predict why something is going to take hold massively and you know for every you know Sally Rooney and Louise O'Neill you know there's other like you know very very accomplished writers and you know they I guess aren't having the uptake uh, financially anyway but like I think it is possible I think that um Transparency around what you make is really valuable for other creative people. Like um, when Don Ryan came out like a few years ago now, you know, and obviously he's just like such a fantastic writer and he is such an amazing support of the Irish writers' scene and, um, and his work is incredible. And he came out a good few years ago and was like, I'm still in my job with the civil service you know but I'm, I'm winning awards you know and, and so that is really honest and really helpful I think and so I suppose in the same vein like or the same attempt to be helpful my income is split across books and um, journalism now I've been really lucky in 2019 I gave up being a freelance journalist kind of which I had been full-time on top of writing the books. And in 2019, I kind of made that leap and was like, I'm just going to write my column now and I'm not going to do so much journalism stuff because I would have done a lot of interviewing with people and you know yourself, like all of that is, you know, a huge job. And I'm really grateful that I, my day job was so fantastic for my kind of other day job in that meeting people, talking to people, all of that is the like, you know, material of books and, and learning their stories. and. Uh, So yes, in 2019, I switched over to more full time books, I kept my column, and I'm so lucky to have that. And I think something like that is just so useful and incredible to have one earner that you can rely on, and is like going to help take care of your bills and kind of have that baseline. Um, And then the you know, now I do two podcasts as well, and they make up a really significant part of my earnings every month like uh, it's actually wonderful and they're both audience supported and and so you know between them my column and then the thing with books is that you have kind of windfalls uh, in terms of you know advances are paid out in installments you would sign your um, deal and you would get a payment uh, on signing you get a payment on delivering the very finished kind of last draft of a book and you get payment on publish And um, obviously that's wonderful, but I guess like it's unnerving too, Um, but it's great because here in Ireland we have an artist exemption on work like writing and it's so fantastic for me because you know like more than half my income I don't have to pay tax on which is absolutely wonderful and I love this country for it and I do think that speaks to what you were saying at the top Aoife about like Ireland being a country of writers and for writers and for readers. And like, I do remember choosing to become a chef after college because I had a lot of fear about the financial insecurity of a creative life. And I think that I sh- chefed into my writing career. So long, long time I was a chef and a writer and then I was a writer and a journalist, so it was always overlapping and having this t- attempt to have a bedrock of financial security underneath with my other work. And um, I guess the more kids I had and I'm like, Alice Taylor has five kids no one has any excuses (laughs) but the more kids I had the more I guess I needed to shift and then I think we have things like the Arts Council and again to like a young writer listening like go on irishwriting.ie has amazing supports in terms of like information about money and bursaries you can access and from the Arts Council you can make applications for work and receive you know just just money to create your work and it's such a wonderful and important part of our our whole country and our society here so yeah so full-time as a book writer look maybe I maybe I even could I'm I probably maybe could but also I love my other
0: work so much and Sophie there's a lot of discussion particularly online about age and books and kind of young writers and what age is the right age to be published and do publishers prefer young writers to older writers what are your thoughts on on that I mean for you is that something that you think needs to be teased out a bit more did you did your age matter at any point when you were getting published
2: I don't know. Uh, let me see. I was 28 uh, when my first book was published, uh, which is quite young, especially to write some kind of version of a memoir. <laughs> In my defense, I had been very busy making a lot of bad decisions <laughs> prior to writing. That was young, I guess, obviously. Um, I do actually recommend uh, people look up this great um not essay, article by Roxanne Gay, who is a brilliant uh, American author. Um, She's written fiction and nonfiction. I absolutely adore her. I I recommend an entry point is her book Hunger, uh, which is about a lot of trauma, So be warned. She wrote an Agony Ant column for the New York Times. But if you Google her, um, you'll find it. And it's basically answering the question of being a late bloomer, as a writer and, you know, is there a cutoff? Is there, is there a time really when you are no longer seen by the industry? And um, Roxanne Gay's uh, response was wonderful um, because she totally acknowledged the kind of cachet that uh, the ingenue has in everything um, because we live in an ageist society. But I do think, I haven't really come across it, but also I guess I'm still like young like I'm 36 and I think I read even younger because I dress like I'm 16 (laughs) she she likes to think she reads younger (laughs) Um, and so I haven't come across really it as a barrier yet I think there's so so much advantage in being experienced and being you know like a, a woman who's like fully mature uh, has so much, I think, you know, we just get older and older and I think genuinely we develop more and more resilience. And I think that's huge. I think as well that, you know, there is readers for everything and everyone. I think actually readers is the least discriminatory in terms of like the writer's age. It is genuinely like having worked both in kind of media and publishing, there is Definitely, uh, I would say I hope now any of my old bosses in journalism <laughs> don't listen or take offense. But there's for sure an element of a writer being there's kind of euphemistic terms like cover ready or cover material, and you know that is a young woman mm. looks good, like you know. Let's be real and look like I don't stand in judgment of you know the people who are part of that um, process and they're using it to reach readers and get their work out there you know and um, i do think it's it's really narrow and boring um, and leading to a kind of a homogenous media like but i think we're also really getting out of that in a lot of big ways but you know alice might totally disagree having like like being you know older self and navigating it i do find in terms of age and work and writing i do find one thing and i'm not sure if this will go away and if it's maybe very subjective and personal to me but like i definitely have always worked with a sense that i have to get a lot done here in this moment of my life um, on one hand there is a lot that i want to do and a lot kind of in me like that i need to get out which i think is, is storytelling uh when i want um but on the other hand i guess maybe it might be motivated by a somewhat conscious or subconscious sense that like Maybe it's going to be harder to get attention on my work um, when I'm not like yeah. as young as I am. I don't know. Like I, that probably sounds, oh God, maybe monstrous, but like, please read it, our listener. Don't hate me.
0: No, I mean I'm interested in, in in hearing Alice's thoughts on that too because I saw you nodding away to a, a lot of what Sophie was saying there. I mean, the idea of ageism in the public the publishing industry, would you agree that it's 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 present there in, in some quarters and have you experienced it yourself, Alice? Well, no,
1: I can't say I have, but I could understand you know how um in the marketing world, you know you, you see pretty girls um advertising cars and you know it's it's not an accident that people use handsome young men to do it. so it's 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 um it's part of the way we are. But there's another side to it then as well. I think a lot of readers, you know, th- that's the one thing about about the, the book world. Once the PR is over and, and the reader and the writer connect, it's immaterial, really. It's a, a connection uh, where all that um, uh, slips away. And uh, would, would, it might be good for promotion at, at the initial stages, but um, it, it, the marketing machine, and I suppose the marketing machine is a big thing in, in, in today's world but it's in a way like it's a bit superficial because um, once that's done and, and the reader sits down with the book that's what really that's when yeah. the connection happens you know and I think that's very important um, I think you know writers are privileged people you know, I know we might make money out of it, but I mean, it does—it does put just put jam on the bread, all right? Like, uh, but, <laughs>
0: which which does bring us uh, bring us nicely to to my last question for you, which is about the Irish Book Awards and kind of that brings together everything you're talking about there in terms of people reading and people paying attention and writers being awarded or rewarded for the work they're doing. So, I mean, briefly, what would you both say about how important awards are? Uh, maybe Alice I'll go to and then Sophie on that question.
1: Well, I suppose they're good in the sense they make readers aware. And and that's the, that's the, the really, the, 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 the main focus I would say. Well of course it's it's a kind of a it's it's a bit like a pat on the back as well and you're kind of chuffed uh, that that uh, that people charge your book was good enough to be to be uh, um, shortlisted and it's lovely and I remember in 2009 my book The Parish was shortlisted and it won out a section and I can remember sitting above and to see Macdonald was alive at the time we were sitting at the table and when I was it was announced that my book had won I couldn't get over the glow of delight that spread all over me. No, it Aww. just spread over me for that time. So there was that about it. I suppose we all like to be acknowledged. It's the human frailtiness, you know, and uh, and if it gets the book out to wider readership, that's that's the ultimate really like.
0: And Sophie, well, how do you feel about awards and being nominated? Well, um, having never
2: won an award, I am desperate to win awards (laughs) well I hope you do (laughs) I know I know I hate to root against you Alice but um no in fourth class I won um a box of milk tray in a raffle and it was truly one of the most rewarding moments of my life so yeah no I think obviously awards as um Alice said like you know it's an acknowledgement of your work and it's um you know like it's people you really respect and admire singling you out and and thinking that what you're doing is good and that's huge and I again I can't imagine it (laughs) (laughs) um but I think as well like to be nominated is enough like genuinely um, I'm so proud uh to be nominated this year for thing and um I'm so proud of my other books that have been nominated for things. But like, I guess to go back to Alice there, like and it's so if this is not a kind of like cozy, oh, awards don't matter. Because as I've said, gagging for one, gagging for one. So desperate, thirsty, sweating for an award. (laughs) But it's genuinely the connection to the reader that is so unbelievably rewarding. And I think that's the kind of thing I might have, a woman stage heard a writer say and kind of rolled my eyes and been like yeah but like underneath it all you're like come on like just give me
0: awards but
2: no it is truly um so so heartening
0: yeah that's really lovely to hear thanks both of you so much for being so generous and giving us so much information about what it takes to be published in ireland and indeed to write a book and best of luck to both of you too sophie and alice in the irish book awards Thanks for listening to The Explainer and thank you to Alice Taylor and Sophie White for your generous insights into the world of writing and publishing. The Irish Book Awards will take place this year on the 23rd of November with the live ceremony for the winners taking place in Dublin. You can stream the event online if you can't attend. To find out more about this and about all of the nominees visit the website irishbookawards.ie. Plus we'll be covering all of the nominees in our category on thejournal.ie so stay tuned for articles there too. And if you're enjoying what you're listening to, we'd love if you rated The Explainer 5 stars on Apple Podcasts and why not share your favourite episodes with your friends. This episode was produced by me, Aoife Barry and Nikki Ryan.